This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week, you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. You may not need to invest any marketing dollars in a new TikTok channel. If you're like Nico Dato, the executive vice president of marketing at Podium, you're thinking about the best ways to not only get the attention that those new well-known channels bring, but also gain the trust of SMBs in order to win them over as clients. But the reality is there's no right or wrong answer to where you spend your ad budget. The truth is the only thing that actually matters is what's performing. The channel mix is evolving every day, and it's important as a marketing leader to think about where your clients actually are and how to develop a genuine relationship with them. And then secondly, stay abreast of all the technology and third-party apps that are emerging as new marketing platforms in the US. We do a ton of trade shows. It's something that I know not a lot of people do. We do a lot of direct mail, we do radio, we do everything you can imagine. It takes three or four touches for us on average to get someone's attention in the way that we want to get their attention and to get the behavior we want. And a lot of times that comes from a combination of digital, traditional radio, print, whatever it is. Our diversification on channels is probably astronomically different than that of like some super, super techie software company. We're marketing and selling to plumbers, insurance agents, car dealers, and people who are out there physically working in the real world all day long. What a lot of people don't realize about Podium is like, if I'm selling to an HVAC contractor, most times they're like checking out Podium at like 9.30 at night because they were fixing air conditioners all day or unclogging toilets. Making sure we get that right channel mix is like super, super critical. They're not always gonna come via Google search. In this episode of Marketing Trends, Nico and I unpack the best way to grow a team from seven to over a thousand and peel back the curtain into how Nico has transformed himself from a marketer to a marketing leader. Staying on top of all the marketing channels, new and old, is how Nico stays on the cutting edge. All this next on Marketing Trends. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Marketing Trends. It's your host, Jeremy Bergeron, Vice President of Content at Mission.org. And today on the show, we have an absolute baller, Nico Dato, Executive Vice President of Marketing at Podium. Nico, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Jeremy. I'm excited to be here. Super stoked to have you, man. Look, I want to I wanna give people a little more context on you because people will inevitably Google you and check you out on LinkedIn and do all the things. Some cool things you've done on paper, and I want to just mention it, dude, because you inspire me already. So Nico, uh, he grew up in Utah, which I think is awesome, graduated with a degree in economics, which I love how that informs your marketing experience, and I want to get into that. Okay. 
Prior to your Podium world, you help run Demand Gen at Teleperformance and then manage Zane Benefits, the marketing team there. That's right. This is where it's interesting too. After joining Podium in 2015, he assisted in taking the company through Y Combinator in 2016, becoming one of the highest revenue generating companies ever to attend the Accelerator. Tip your hat to YCOM for that. That's awesome. That's right. That's right. And as part of the executive team, He's helped secure funding from IVP, Excel, GV, which is formerly Google Ventures, Summit Partners. So the guys really tapped into a lot of really cool things. And I love that in your free time, you play golf, which I do as well. And you're a family guy. You've got one. Is it one daughter? I actually have two daughters now. I had a daughter literally the day before the world shut down with COVID. So a second one. So I have two daughters. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. well, uh, my little girl's three years old. That's awesome. How old are you girls? I have a four-year-old and a one and a half-year-old. So you already know what my, what my yeah. world is like. You're a girl dad then too. Yes, 100%. The best. And then uh, we also have, so my partner has three boys. She has twins that are 19 months old. Okay. And then she has, then she has a three-year-old son. Okay. So we essentially have two sets of twins at our house, dude. It's insane. <laughs> Very calm, I'm sure. Yeah. Dude, yeah, super calm. Yeah. But dude, I love being a dad, especially to a little girl. I mean, you you already know, man. It's it's a yeah. complete game changer. It's great. So, um, dude, so cool, man. I love your background. I appreciate that. Let's get into the genesis though, Nico. I want to I want to hear where did it start for you? Where did marketing get on your radar? Was it a book? Was it a podcast? Was it a brand? When did this kind of spark first initiate in your life and your world? Sure. Well, first and foremost, thanks for that nice intro. It uh, makes me sound way cooler than I than I actually am. So I appreciate that. Um, you know, I think for me with marketing, you know, even in high school, I was kind of, I took a couple of marketing classes. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then I ended up getting into college and, you know, I naturally just kind of like felt like I was good at economics, which was like a super random thing to be good at. Like my friends were like, are you crazy? And I, I kind of liked it, you know, I got into it and then I started thinking like, hey, maybe finance is my route. And so funny enough, I went and did a finance internship, uh, an accounting internship. I hated it. I literally like on like week one was like, this is not for me. Like I have so much respect for these guys, but this is not for me. And so, you know, I kind of went back to the drawing board the next semester and ended up getting a couple of different kind of marketing internships, part-time jobs. And that's where I kind of like realized that, you know, marketing isn't just like playing in Microsoft paint, you know, it's not like grabbing the green spray can and then like yeah. using the pink spray can. Like it was becoming really analytical at the time. This is like, you know, the 2000, you know, nine, 2010 uh, era. And so it really kind of started becoming really apparent to me that it was analytical and that was exciting for me. And so, you know, I started dabbling in a few things and ultimately started falling in love with, you know, demand generation and, and more specifically email marketing. And um, just thought it was really cool. And that was kind of the, the kicking off point for me. And so, uh, you know, the rest is history. I love it. Well, I want to comment on the economics part because I remember I go back to my LSU days in school and I took my first epic economics class and the teacher said, this is a dismal science. And I just remember being like, oh my God, this is the first day of class that you're saying this is the dismal science. And so it always stuck with me. I squeezed out of economics, I think with like a B minus, maybe a C. I mean, I just, hey, that's, that's good. I wanted to love it and enjoy it. And I got slammed the teacher. Yeah. I'm going to blame the teacher. He was cool, but it just, I didn't, it was just a tough, a tough class for me. Yeah. So I love that you grabbed onto it and you probably had some great teacher mentors along the way yeah. In, yeah. in that world, which is cool. I did. So then demand gen, you start getting into that world and lead generation, which is, you know, it's a, it's a core function of business. Like you got to have that piece. 
What are some of the early demand gen legions things that you're getting into? Were there some legion email marketing folks that you were reading about, studying about, being inspired by back then? Tell us about the early days. Yeah, there probably were. Uh, admittedly, I, I don't really remember exactly who they were or what they were. But, you know, I think for me back, back then, it, a lot of it was, you know, we were going to events. We were getting leads from these events. We were buying lists and we were trying to warm up those lists. Also, you know, my first job out of college was for a, a big BPO company or call center company called Teleperformance, which is like customer care for all the largest customers. And we were doing really, really targeted account-based marketing. And so, you know, the ability to be like, hey, we want to go sell into, just make up a name, AT&T. Like, let's go find who the customer care person is and the procurement person. Like, you name the role, there's like seven or eight that we go after. And being able to enrich, you know, all of the data we possibly could inside of Salesforce at that time and be able to run campaigns to them, like just really, really exciting. And, you know, I had a couple of people who I worked with who really kind of, you know, served as mentors to me at that time. And it like, it just opened up my world uh, in my viewpoint to something that like, I had no idea existed within marketing. And it, it was just like, it was just the most fun thing ever, really. I love it. So talk about the you know, kind of the journey, if you will, of going from kind of this, you know, marketing tactician to marketing leader, because those are two very different things. I know a lot of folks, when I was at Google, we had some amazing marketing tacticianers, but those guys and gals weren't necessarily the greatest leaders or never ended up there. Yeah. So there's a, there's an intersection there that happens where you kind of go from marketer to marketing leader. Tell me about that for you. And I'm always curious to hear experience around that. Man, it's so hard. It is, it is it is really, really hard. And I think, you know, I, I've been super fortunate to kind of learn on the fly a little bit. Like I didn't necessarily have all of this classical training in how to run a marketing team and how to build a comms function and a product marketing function, all these things, because, you know, I, I've just been so fortunate that my career has just kind of like snowballed so quickly. So for me, I, I had to learn a lot of it on the fly. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things that I, that I often talk about, it's a really, really bad analogy, but I use it all the time is like, you know, as you go from single like tactician around marketing tactics, et cetera, to a leader, you have to go from driving the car to, you know, inputting the coordinates in the GPS or say, we're, say where we're going to go. And then like, you know, every once in a while being like, Hey, we're going to hop off this exit and put some more air on the tire and, and we'll hop back on. And I think that, you know, is a huge transition where when you're an individual contributor, you have control over the destiny of the thing that you own. And like, it's up to you to work as hard as you want with it, to strategize as much as you want with it, to learn, you know, from outside sources as much as you want with that thing. And all of a sudden you're, you're having to guide, you know, a team in doing that one thing that you think you can do really, really well. The secret is, is that oftentimes they know how to do it much better than you do. Uh, and you just need to, be able to find the right person. But yeah, that transition was really hard. And, you know, I'm not perfect at it by any means, but I think I've, I've grown by way of leadership over the last couple of years. And it's a, it's a transition that I tell a lot of marketers, you don't need to make that jump unless you really want to make that jump and just know that it's not easier. Like there, there's great career paths in any of these disciplines that don't necessarily mean management, but for others, like some are great at it, some want it. And that's awesome too. Wow. And look, you know, people are going to check Nico out. They're going to Google you. They're going to check it out. And the, what they'll find is the same thing I found, which was that you've been at Podium for over six years. I have. Yeah. So I already know automatically I'm like a marketing leader that's been anywhere for like longer than a year. You start to really see, okay, like, because I mean, look, the market, the marketing role is like the quickest turnover. It You're is. there. 
You're either there for a little bit and you're out or you're yeah. there and you really have established yourself as, as a leader there. And so I see someone as yourself. I mean, look, a guy like you with the chops that you have and the skills that you've cultivated, you can go anywhere you want, basically. And you chose to kind of stick to that podium. You've been there almost a decade, yeah. which says a lot about some of the things that you've cultivated. How do you think you've been able to really kind of stay at the top of your game as a, as a marketing leader at a big organization? You guys have over a thousand employees, right? Yeah, I think we're roughly 1,200 or so. How do you do it, Nico? What's the secret, bro? Uh, well, thank you so much again uh, for the nice compliment. I, you know, I think for me, a, a couple of things. So I am constantly trying to do everything I possibly can to learn. Like I, you just have to, like everything evolves so quickly. And so, you know, I think one of the things that from a early stage or a podium that I basically told myself I'd continue doing is like, just never have an ego or never try to be the smartest person in the world. Just like try to try to learn as much as possible. And so, you know, especially in the earlier days, like it was not uncommon for me to be going and looking up like uh, a metric, for example, like CAC to LTV and being like, oh, what's what, how does this work? Who does this well? How are these impacted? And like, uh, you know, trying to do everything I can to understand that thing inside and out and bring it back to the organization and, and drive excellence around those things. So, you know, I think learning is, is one thing. I think, you know, the two others that I'd say is one is mentorship. So like, I've always just tried to like check my ego and be like, Hey, it sometimes really sucks to, you know, be vulnerable and say, Hey, you know, so-and-so I have no idea what's going on here. Can you help me here? And like, I I've had to figure out how to do that. And, and like, I think surprise, I'm like shocked by it still. It's a hard thing for a lot of people to do. And like, I remember when it was really hard for me and I think I've just been conditioned to, to be open to it. And so that's another thing I've, I've done. And then, you know, the last thing I'd say is, I think this sounds a bit chest poundish, so hopefully it doesn't come off that way, but I think the harder you work, the luckier you get. And, and I think like, you know, a lot of people look at, you know, someone like myself or someone at an even more established company and be like, oh man, like, look how easy that must've been, or that happened overnight, or that thing was so fast. But what they don't realize is like, there's a lot of work that goes into this. There's a lot of like crappy days. There's a lot of amazing days as well. There's more amazing days than crappy days. That's how you stay somewhere for seven years. But like, it takes a lot of hard work and it, and it, it doesn't just come from like planning on a two hour work week. Like it, it takes time. Hmm. You said something interesting there kind of about this kind of mentoring aspect, which is important. I, I had a guest on another show that I host, uh, Elizabeth Chalosky is the CEO of a company called HG Insights. Mm -hmm. She talked about this idea of reverse mentoring, reverse mentorship. Interesting. Of how she intentionally seeks out like someone that's like several layers down yeah. and sits with them. And, and she talked about how she was able to make these big bets in her career that it, clearly she's winning and you can see that. But did you do that as well? Because I know it can be easy to also kind of go to the guys that are a little bit ahead or folks that inspire you as a marketing leader. How much do you actually go you know, back down to where you were in the beginning, you know, and still connect with these folks that are, that are the tacticians and, or, or maybe even folks that are outside of the realm of marketing. Like, do you do some of that too? Yeah, absolutely. You have to, I, I think you have to, like, I love that, but yeah, you, you absolutely have to, like, it's so funny. Like you talk about going from an individual contributor to a leader, like as an individual contributor, like I knew everything about, you know, make up a marketing topic, like cookies or something, right. For like retargeting, just know everything about that. Today, I don't know anything really because, you know, you just become so dis disconnected. Like I know what it is. I know how it works. I know we use it. I know we need it. But like being able to go chat with some of these people and stay current on some of these things and, and ideate on how we can better utilize these things or connect them to other parts of the business are just so critical. Um, otherwise, I think there's missed opportunities. I think the second aspect is, 
I felt really fortunate uh, to have all the people along the way in my career. And, and I think like to not be selfish on the flip side, giving time back the other way, I think is hyper, hypercritical, even if it ends up being more beneficial for yourself than for them. Um, I, I think it's critical. So yeah, I love, I love her idea of reverse mentorship. I, I buy into that completely. That's awesome. What are you learning about now? That's a great question. So, you know, I think over the course of the seven years here at Podium or six and a half to seven years, you know, we started off really, you know, when, when our CEO, Eric hired me, he's like, Hey, just figure out how to get us revenue. Like, that's what I care about. Just figure out <laughs> how to do that. Right. And uh, I was like, I can do that. I can, we'll figure that out. And so we did that. And, and that was, you know, really focused around revenue marketing type activities. So digital demand, et cetera. Over the course of the, of the last couple of years, like we've really transitioned to help drive growth through adding other functions and maturing other functions like product marketing or communications or, you know, a web team or whatever it is. And so I think for me that that's just continued today. Like I, I'm still trying to refine some of those areas and improve some of those areas and set direction and resource better for some of those, those areas. You know, I've brought on a couple of really awesome senior leaders over the course of the last six months or so. And so even just ideating with them on how we can best resource for, for future planning is a total learning process for me based on their backgrounds and, and some of the vision that we have as a company. Do you feel like you've gotten really good at hiring? You know, I, I feel like I've gotten pretty good at hiring. Um, I mean, we've, I, when I joined Podium, I was employee number seven and we're at 1,200. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so we've hired a lot of people. So whether it's just hiring for my department or helping with, you know, sales or strategy or some of these other roles, I've interviewed a lot. Um, so I feel like I've gotten better at it, but it's, it's still hard. I mean, hiring is, is really difficult. I think you, you end up finding a couple of those things that you, you can kind of pattern match after and, and like rely on. And, and that's like kind of your best bet. And I feel like I've gotten uh, okay at that. Wow. You know, Man, that's interesting. So employee number seven of over, over way over a thousand now. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that you can talk about. And I mean, there's so much growth that you have to, that you're going through as a leader, going through as an organization, you know, this better than a lot of people look that kind of growth. I mean, it's a full contact sport and it's, there is really virtually nothing easy about that experience. And that's, it's incredible to, to have done that. And, and now I'm curious, I'm curious about your perspective now, because you're, as the marketing leader for, for this really cool organization and brand that's not slowing down, clearly, you're kind of at this intersection of like comms, product, finance, operations. Like you really sit as this like microcosm to a lot of other things. And the modern day marketer, that's really important to be in that, that be at that intersection and still have alignment across all of these other really important things inside of a really big business. Yeah. How do you do that? Do you kind of hang in? Do you feel more comfortable going with the product folks and going down that road? Have you had to sharpen skills in, in those areas where you're not as comfortable? Because yeah. clearly you're kind of, there's a lot of things happening at your seat yeah. and to your right and your left and above and below. What is that like for you? It's fun. It's a lot of fun. Like <laughs> I, I enjoy it quite a bit. Like, you know, we'll step into like our weekly staff meetings uh, where you have representation from every one of those departments. And it's, it's honestly like it's inspiring and it's humbling to hear all of the things that each team is focused on or dealing with and getting perspective on how you can help or how you cannot help and just kind of sit by and watch is really fun to do. I think, you know, you made you made a comment on something that I think is is really critical. I think, you know, today's marketer 
by and large, like they have to figure out how to be communicative. They have to figure out how to be collaborative. They have to figure out how to understand, you know, the goals and the inner workings of a department like a finance or like a product or like a customer success or you name the department. And if they can best do that, like they're going to be 10 times more effective in whatever they're trying to get done as well. And, you know, there are a ton of hard, hard skills out there that, you know, today's marketer needs to learn depending on their discipline. But I actually think that, you know, from a soft skill perspective and being able to work across departments, it's like one of the most important things that, you know, someone in my role, uh, all the way to someone who's an IC, like can really kind of hone and polish to be more effective. What was revenue like when you joined at employee number seven? Oh man, we were sub a million dollars in ARR for sure. Um, I don't know for sure, but yeah, we were in the probably hundreds of thousands. We probably had a couple hundred customers. Okay. We had two salespeople who were basically just cold calling and then the rest were engineers. Um, And really like the first, I mean, hats off to our CEO and our co-founder, Dennis and Eric, but they, uh, for the first little bit, like they just went and knocked doors. Like they were like, they had sold alarms together in college. Wow. I love this. And they were like, yeah, this is a decent way to sell you. Right. And, and then they started this business and they started selling door to door. And so when I came on, they, they kind of had said like, Hey, we think there's another way to drive revenue other than us just going door to door. Like we want to test this thing where you sell over the phones. Like, what do you think? I'm like, yeah, it seems pretty reasonable. And uh, so, yeah, we were definitely sub a million in ARR and uh, yeah, seven or seven or so people too on the sales side. Okay. So talk us through the amazing adventure of going from, you know, seven figures to eight figures, eight figures to nine figures, right? There's a lot of things that have to happen inside of a business operationally, infrastructure, like there's, a, I mean, there's businesses that I know just will never touch that. And, and that's okay. And then, you know, the, the percentage and statistics of businesses that never hit that marker, there's a, a large group that will never hit that. Yeah. Talk us through what that experience is like, the things that you're learning, maybe some favorite failures, like what's, what's that experience going from seven to eight, eight to nine, and, and we ain't stopping. Yeah. You know, I, I used to think that I wanted to go get an MBA. I was like, you know, I'll do this thing for a couple of years and I'll go back and try to get an MBA somewhere and then do my thing after that. I think the course of the last, you know, six or seven years has like been an MBA probably times like a thousand. Uh, yeah. 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 And like, it's because of all the reasons you said, like, um, you know, when I came on to podium, for example, like we were using the free version of HubSpot CRM, for example. And so you had to go from, like, okay, so how do we do pipeline management? How do we even think about building, you know, some of these processes in Salesforce? How do we think about building systems? How do we think about quoting? And, you know, so we, I've seen the entire build from a technical infrastructure side and, you know, some of the mistakes we've made and some of the things we've, we've fixed. I've seen, you know, the departments grow from like basically just having engineers make, you know, the product and decide how product management cycles are going to go. And like, you know, kind of doing a little bit of design to that whole function growing. Um, you've seen it on the sales side as well. Like, you know, worrying about commission structures and all of those types of things. Like it's insane. Like you're, you're a hundred percent, right? Like it's not just pour more fuel on the fire, get more customers and like, think everything's great. Like you're worried about uptime. You're worried about SLAs. You're worried about the contracts with your customers. You're worried about like all of these things. And, and I think, you know, the thing that Eric, our CEO has done a really good job of is, is he's tried to keep us really focused on some of those things that, that matter most, because as you're scaling that quickly, there's like inevitably going to be 400 priorities, 
what are like the five priorities that you try to align to and get all of the subsequent teams to also align to, to make sure that, that those things are perfect. And I think, you know, you even see some people coming today and they're like, oh, interesting. Like you don't have this, but you have this other thing. And this other thing is really polished, but this other thing that I'd expect you to have is like basically non-existent. It's like, yeah, like we've grown quite a bit in six or seven years. And that's a function of, of, you know, Eric really trying to hone in on there's a ton to do what's priority. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy ride, man. It's fun. Wow. On that note of kind of establishing priorities, you know, over the course of your time there, you've built teams there and, you know, how do you kind of go about building a high performance marketing team right at podium? Like what are some of the priorities that you're establishing short, mid, long-term? Like how do you navigate that? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I think a couple of things. The first is I try to align most everything that we're doing as a marketing team to the company goals. Like I think like 80 to 90% of what you do as a marketing team, at least for us, like others may totally disagree with me and that's fine. But for us, 80 to 90% is toward the company goals because if we're not all like moving in the same direction, like we're just sitting in a standstill. So, you know, a lot of our goals are, are aligned around the company. And then the 10% or 20% are kind of like, how do we future-proof some of these things to make sure that we don't hit these awkward dead ends, like, you know, it's, at some point in time? Um, and, or how do we stay innovative, for example? I think, you know, by and large, the charter for my team has been growth. Like, I am not bringing on a brand team, or I didn't bring on a brand team to just, like, make us feel good and, and you know, have a nice-looking color. Like, we're bringing on brand teams because it's in service of growth. And we think that, you know, having you know, our voice and tone be a little bit more, you know, dialed in or, you know, our, our aesthetic looks be a little bit more dialed in are going to help. The same goes for comms. Like we're not just bringing in comms to like, you know, make our CEO's Twitter profile look good. Like it's in service of something else. So for us, like priorities are always going to be centered around growth and um, everything we do is going to be in service of growth. And there are going to be a handful of other things that are quarterly priorities, which, you know, you called out as maybe short-term or midterm priorities that we're going to have to align to and make sure that we're resourcing and, and running up against. But like at the end of the day, we're trying to build a business. We're trying to build something that's sustainable. We're trying to build for the next hundred years. And um, in order to do that, like you got to stay focused on some of those priorities. And ideally those are, those are things that are also aligned at the company level. How do you create, you know, this sense of safety for folks on the marketing team, the folks that really kind of roll up to you because to me, you've got it, you know, there's a culture of the company. There's also a culture of like the marketing squad. I find that as in some, a lot of organizations. And so it's so important, especially now these days where there's you know been a lot of changes in the world the last couple of years. And I'm always curious about, you know, how leaders really create this tight container of safety where, hey, they want people on their team to bring all of themselves to that role. Yeah. And clearly you've done that because we look at the numbers, the data, you know, full stop. How do you do that though? How do you really create that, that safety in that container of, on the marketing team where people feel like they can, man, they're in it, they're supported by you, they feel seen, heard, and they can drop the mic every day in their role? Yeah, um, I, I love that. Uh, drop the mic every day. I, I think it's a balance, right? Like it, marketing is so public. What you're doing is so public. Like everyone's seeing the emails that your team's sending. Everyone's seeing the new web page that you launched. Everyone's saying, you know, the new one pager that you, you put out for the sales team. Like it's everything you're doing is so public. And so I think it's a balance of like making sure the team is well-equipped for the public perception or criticism, whether it's, you know, internally the team or, or externally, if you're like a really big consumer brand or something similar. So I think like you have to find that balance. And I think 
the way that I've found to be most effective there is just try to set like the North star metrics. Like it sounds so MBA ish, but like, or business school ish, but like, if you just, you know, are, are very clear about what we're trying to do, like people figure it out, they're smart. And so I think from a safety perspective, like where people I've found feel most unsafe is when there's not clarity and they're like, man, I'm guessing on this thing. And I got to go present this to like the CEO like next week. And like, I'm not even clear what this thing's supposed to be. So I'm nervous about this. But if they know like, you know, super clearly what the, what the overarching goal here is, like they figure it out. And, and so like, I've tried to be super clear there. I think the other thing that I, I really push on is like, you know, I, I have zero desire to hire. Like it's something that we've tried to do here at Podium and like I've taken it to heart. And so like, when you eliminate that factor, like all of a sudden someone's not nervous about being expressive about something and maybe getting totally torched about that thing. And so I think, you know, trying to just bring, bring on people who don't have egos, who want to build something special together, like automatically kind of starts to build that safe kind of environment that you're talking about. What about when you're growing so fast and you, you got to hire, you got to, you need to get the right people, but yet you're in this, like we're experiencing that now in our business where like, there's a lot of explosive growth and we have to bring people on and we also want to bring the right people on. And we have the same, we have the same zero policy yeah. admission as well. Love it. It really is. There's tension there, you know, and I'm curious, are you navigating that? How, how did you? And I'm curious about that. Yeah. 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 We're absolutely navigating it. I'm sure you've navigated it in your, in your uh, professional life too. And it's, you're right. It's hard. Like, because you've got these demands of today and people are like, Hey, I'm drowning. I need like, you know, someone to come take this thing. And you're like, ah, I haven't found the right person yet or whatever it is. And so you're right. It, it's tough. I think my, my hiring mantra, and it, it may be different for others, but mine has always kind of been like hire people, not for the role. Like you're hiring for a specific role, but you need to find the right person for that role as well. And so I would rather take a longer amount of time finding the right person than having to restart in three months or six months mm. or, or whatever it is. And so, you know, have I missed on hires? 100%. Everyone has. Um, will I miss on more? For sure. Mm. But like, by all means, like my, my intent is to find the right person for the role and, and know that the longer term impact of finding the right person is going to be much greater than filling the short term need that, you know, may just be a two or three week difference. Mm. Does that like resonate or answer your question there? Absolutely. Yeah. And I was going to ask you if you were more of a like higher, slow, fire fast kind of guy yeah. or, or reverse. I'm so curious about that. Well, that's really cool. So this is awesome because I feel like, you know, a guy like you, I can just, there's so many questions I can, I can ask you. And I know that you had experience with it. So it's great. I could just be full of all of it. You never know. <laughs> so let's shift gears a little bit and talk about kind of this messaging trends out there, right? Sure. There was this messaging trends report. You guys put out this report. Yeah. Okay. What are some of the kind of the big surprises? I know we're looking at this as a company, a lot of, a lot of big brands that we have on the show are also talking about this a little bit. What's kind of some of the, the surprises that you're finding in this messaging trends report? And how did, how did this report even originate? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think for us, one of the core offerings we have here at Podium is really centered around marketing, uh, you know, and so the ability to attract, retain, convert customers like is, is front and center for us here at Podium. So just naturally, it kind of felt like something that we should and could go do. As far as, you know, some of the things that were surprising to me, you know, the one thing that I have found has every year become more and more surprising and it probably shouldn't be a surprise because it, it consecutively happens is I think that the channel diversification that's happening here in the U S and, you know, I should be inclusive of Canada and some of the others, but like largely here in the U S uh, is 
is changing. Like historically it was like, oh yeah, the best way to reach them is via email. Like when I started, it was like email. And then all of a sudden, you know, it started to become text. And like, we are a huge, obviously advocate of, of texting and it's incredible. But what's interesting is we've started to enter the world where consumers are using third-party apps as well to communicate. And, you know, you're, it's something that you see internationally. Like you go to Brazil, you might see it with WhatsApp. You go to yep. Japan, you might see it with Line, et yep. cetera. And so we're starting to see that. And the data shows on that report, which was really shocking me, which is, you know, I think it's 40% or, or something similar are starting to use third-party apps on a daily basis to communicate with one another. And I think, you know, A, it's a huge opportunity for brands. I, I think that like, we're probably going to see a really interesting shift there over the next year or two. But B, I, I think when you're talking about making sure that you get your message in front of the right people, it, it's something that people should be aware of or marketers at the very least should be aware of, which is, you know, there's channel diversification that's happening and you should take advantage of that. On that note of kind of channel diversification, what does it look like at Podium? What are, you know, kind of high level, like, are you doing direct mail? Clearly there's SMS stuff and that. What does kind of the, the pie look like there? So it's funny. Podium, we've like historically taken a very traditional approach to kind of our channels. Like we do a ton of trade shows, for example, uh, which is like something that I know not a lot of people do. Uh, we do do a lot of direct mail. We do radio. We do everything you can imagine. So, yeah, I mean, for us, like it takes three or four touches for us on average to get, you know, someone's attention in the way that we want to get their attention and, and to get the behavior we want. And, and a lot of times that comes from a combination of digital, you know, traditional radio, print, whatever it is. And yeah, so for us, like our diversification on channels is probably astronomically different than, you know, that of like some super, super techie software company. Cause we're, we're marketing and selling to plumbers, insurance agents, car dealers, and, and people who are out there physically working in the real world all day long. Like what a lot of people don't realize about Podium is like, if I'm selling to an HVAC contractor, like most times they're like checking out podium at like nine 30 at night because they were fixing air conditioners all day. Right. Or unclogging toilets or whatever you want to, whatever you want to, you know, imagine. So for us, making sure we get that right channel mix is like super, super critical. They're not always going to come via Google, Google search. Is there a preferred kind of business intelligence tool that you use to evaluate your channel, like all your channels, or do you kind of have a la carte, multiple things you're using. Yeah, it's a little bit of a la carte, multiple type uh, thing. We we um, we also do a lot of customer interviews. Like we're constantly talking to customers. We're doing a lot of like you know data collection via surveys. We have a data science team who's also looking into some of those things. So you know, I think for us, it's it's a combination of a lot of different things, and it's always changing. What is kind of AI machine learning? Where does that kind of play into the offering, into the stuff you're maybe testing? And I know a lot of brands are doing using this in different ways. Mm -hmm. What are you seeing kind of in, in the world that you play in around that? So obviously on the product side, like there's a lot of machine learning AI type stuff that we're utilizing. Um, we actually just brought on a new chief product officer at the beginning of this year. His, his name is Johnny. He was the chief product officer at MailChimp. And, you know, he, one of the things he said when he came on, he's like, man, like the amount of messages we have coming in and out of the platform or inter interactions coming in and out of the platform, like we can really do some interesting things here. And so They've been, they've been making really good strides uh, on that side of things. From a marketing perspective, we've largely used uh, machine learning and AI on lead scoring, lead routing, uh, really just trying to be hyper, hyper effective on getting the leads as fast as we can in the, in the most frictionless way possible. We're also looking at some of, the, of you know, that area of technology for things like content delivery and a couple other things uh, for next year, which I think is really exciting. My guess is like, 
those areas of technology will just end up bleeding into everything that we do as marketers. But for right now, you know, we're, we're hyper-focused on utilizing that kind of stuff for our lead gen efforts, our lead routing efforts, our lead scoring efforts. What do you think is like the biggest, biggest mistake you see marketers, marketing leaders make in their omni-channel marketing strategies? You know, I think a couple of things. I think one thing I've noticed more and more lately is because of automation, like you can rig up Marketo to do about anything and everything you want these days, which is awesome. That's what we use. And because you can do that, oftentimes I see a little bit of laziness in the content that's being delivered through all of these different channels. It's like one size fits all, right? Like I, uh, for example, I got a newsletter uh, from a brand, I won't mention who, like two weeks ago, and I saw the content. And then literally like three days later, I saw an Instagram ad that had the exact same content in long form. It was cut off. And like, I'm like, that's just lazy. It's probably automated, which is great. That's awesome. I'm a big fan of that, but like, it's a little bit lazy. And so I feel like I'm starting to see that more and more where it's like automation and technology makes this easier to reach people across more channels, which is great. But I think that the the content that you're delivering is is really critical. And I don't think it's a one size fits all. What about how you and the Podium Squad have kind of doubled down on the customer experience, especially kind of in the last couple of years specifically? Have there been sweeping changes in the customer experience and the journey? Yeah, the whole experience that someone goes through engaging with the brand. What's your view there? Yeah, for sure. And I we have a lot more to do. Like we've we've made really good progress. We have a lot more to do. That's like the bottom line up front uh, there. I think we have made a ton of progress. I think, um, you know, again, we talked about like a lot of things scaling really quickly over the last six years. When we first started formulating like this entire flow, there were a million touch points. There are also like five people in that process and customers would be like, Hey, podium. Like, I don't even remember who I talked to. Like, you know what I mean? I talked to John, I talked to Kate, I talked to like name three other people. And so that's been one really big area of emphasis for us is how do we, how do we streamline that process? So there's not like 10 people in hundred different touch points uh, that maybe, maybe aren't needed. So, you know, that's one area we've really leaned into. I think the other one on the marketing side that I would mention that's really relevant is I'm a really big fan of speed to lead. Like I, I think that, you know, I, there's always these stats that you see coming from different outlets and, and it's different every year where it's like, oh yeah, you have 15 minutes to respond to a lead. And if you get to them, then it's like 500% increase. I buy all of it to some extent, but like, you're a consumer. I'm a consumer. Like if you go look for something and you shop three or four brands, there's a pretty high likelihood that I'm going to go with the first person that reaches back out to me. And I'm also going to view that as the best experience. And so one of the things we've been really focused on here is like, how do we dial into speed to lead? How do it like, what if someone comes in at 11 o'clock at night? Do we have coverage there? Right. If they come in at 11 o'clock at night, does that mean they want a phone call at 11 o'clock at night? Or like, should we be thinking about a text message or an email or whatever? So, you know, that's an area that Again, we have a lot of progress to make there, but it's been something that we've been really focused on and I think is is really important to the business. How has adding processing payments changed Podium as a company? Uh, it's been massive. That's huge. Huge. Yeah, it's it's been massive. Like, you know, for those not super familiar with Podium, you know, we originally started selling a product that helped generate reviews. And so those reviews helped them with local SEO, it helped them get found online. It would help give the consumer confidence for someone to be like, yep, this is the plumber I want to use. And, you know, slowly we've kind of added different products along the customer journey. So we, we added a website chat product that allowed, you know, then that person who landed on the website to easily convert to uh, a potential buyer. Uh, we, we added a feedback product, which allowed them to get feedback after post-service. 
you know, we, we have a video chat component uh, in like one of the areas that we just were missing for a long time that we were always interested in was kind of closing the loop on the transaction and payments was a way for us to do that. And so, you know, we, we launched with a product, which we called text to pay, and it was the ability to pay over text message uh, via a credit card or Google pay or, or Apple pay that took off. It's been a great product. It's a, it's a really fun one. And then this year we launched uh, physical in-store card readers. And it's been great. I mean, it, it closes the loop. It adds attribution where needed. You know, of course, we're helping on all the kind of like ancillary type benefits like rates and, and all of those types of things. But uh, it's been an absolute game changer for us. Uh, our, our customers really like it, which is really fun to watch. And it allows us to be present across, you know, the entire customer journey and really kind of act as the operating system for their businesses. Were you guys the first to do text to pay? Was that, was that you guys? You know, I would I would say we were early to say that we were the first. I I probably would be misquoting something. You know, I think I'm sure others have figured out in some form or fashion how to do a version of text to pay. But I would say that we were we were super early. Okay. Like you know, I I think historically we've always had to do more demand generation than demand harvesting. And what I mean by that is like we didn't naturally have people being like, hey, we need the solution to text customers and get payment over text. Hmm. Most of it is us trying to educate them on why. And, um, I would say when we launched that product, like it was very much trying to teach people how this thing worked. Mm. Wow. That's yeah. I can imagine being at the beginning of that, you know, and, and, you know, that having that capability and of course we all, a lot of people use it now. I mean, I use it all in lots of different ways now. It's so helpful yeah. and so convenient. Yeah. What's next like for messaging, like, you know, fast forward a couple of years down the road, you and I are chatting about this. What, what does it look like? You know, I think there's a lot of interesting angles. So like you're starting to see like, you know, there's a couple of brands like Google, your, your alma mater, uh, you know, dabbling in like small, small company. Yeah. Small company. You may have heard of it, uh, dabbling in things like, you know, rich content. Uh, so like RCS type messaging, um, you know, you've obviously got like iMessage and, and Apple is working diligently to get like Apple business chat out there to the world. And you can see it in, in some of the trials with like Home Depot or Delta. Um, so I think you're going to see really interesting things by way of messaging. I think that something that is not going to change. And it goes to one of my surprising facts on the messaging trends report is like, I think omni-channel is going to be absolutely important. Like something that might be shocking to a lot of people is like, we, we manage a lot of Facebook messenger conversations every single day, like a ton. And, you know, for you or I, like, I don't know about you, I, I don't spend a ton of time on Facebook personally, but like there are a ton of people who do. And I think that, you know, the ability to, to be available and present on a lot of these channels where people just naturally are, is going to be really important. I think the last thing is, you know, what we're proving via messaging is there's so much you can do via messaging. Like it, it's a delivery mechanism that is super relevant. And like, if you can get paid over text, like you can do just about anything over text, uh, which is pretty incredible. And like, it doesn't just stop at text. It stops at any kind of messaging channel. Other industries that are just now getting it in terms of messaging and texting and getting and finally getting a seat at the table that where they where they previously weren't yeah i mean look shameless plug but like i think our types of customers tend to be the like they're the laggards like you know e-commerce is always going to be at the forefront like it, they sure. they always just are right or like you know um you can send a hello sign or docu sign or whatever through text and and like get a signature via text which is pretty incredible like technology companies are always going to be at the forefront like what you're seeing today is local businesses, which are, by the way, again, shameless plug, like the backbone of our economy, like where most of transactions actually happen, they are just catching on to what everyone else is catching on to. And so, 
you know, the exciting thing for me is when I go shop at a business and I get a text that's powered by Podium, I'm like, this is awesome. Like we're helping mm. pull these customers along and make them more modern and make them more competitive. And, you know, I think that any type of offline local business is just naturally going to be behind the times. And, and that's, it's not a knock on them. They're busy doing their thing. Exactly. They got into business to be the best in the world at their craft, not to worry about running their business. And so, yep. you know, having to, to catch up by way of technology is I think a realistic thing that's happening and it's exciting to be a part of it. First of all, I love the, any person that doubles down on the SMB world, you know, is, is near and dear. I mean, <laughs> it's just for me, I've, I am a business owner, you know, I've worked yeah. in that space. I've supported, even at Google, that was my focus. I was supporting SMBs. Yeah. It's awesome. And I'm bullish on SMBs. They're so important as you know. They are. Yeah. And, you know, rewind the tape a little bit last couple of years, like obviously it was, SMBs by and large took a pretty big hit and depending on the industry. They did. What do you do and are doing to kind of speed up trust with these SMBs that may not know, because like you said, a lot of them are like, just kind of, Hey, I've, I've been building my business and okay, now if I don't, if I don't start playing in this space, I'm going to lose. Yeah. But also they don't know, maybe not know who you are, Sure. you know, and then, and they got, they can't really, they can't delay too much longer. They got to keep moving to win. Sure. How do you kind of speed up trust and, and really get that part going to then you know, increase that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you'd be surprised, like social proof is incredibly important for these types of businesses. So, you know, whether it's working with another auto dealer, right. And, and showing the results or, or getting a recommendation from another auto dealer is super important, or maybe it's the auto dealer who hangs out with the dentist. Cause they live in the same neighborhood and golf together, right. On the weekends, like that kind of social proof has proven to be really effective and really important for us. And I kind of said this earlier, like they're not oftentimes like going and looking up what types of businesses or what software vendors or providers would be great for them. Like a lot of it ends up being word of mouth. And so, you know, one thing we've really focused on and, and we'll continue to focus on is like, we want to be on the same side of the table as these customers. We want to show that we understand that their opportunities and their struggles are, are very real. And we want to show that we understand them and want to address them. And, and that's something we'll keep doing. Now, those are, those tend to be more mid funnel type activities, right? Uh, at the top of the funnel, like you know, I think for us, like we really work to try and be everywhere and show that, that we are like fully honed in on local business for these, for these businesses. And so it's why we do a ton of trade shows. We do a ton in like trade publications. We do a lot of, you know, display advertisements or radio advertisements or whatever. Like a lot of times they just want to know you're legitimate. I think the hardest thing for local business in getting their trust though, is they've been burned so many times because they are so vulnerable. And because they are so trusting, because like they are better at fixing teeth than anyone else in their community or better, you know, they know guitars better than anyone else in their community. Like that's what they're focused on. They have allowed others to come in and say like, Hey, we're going to make your business incredible. We're going to make it efficient. You're going to have more customers than you could ever you know, deal with. And they've been burned. And so uh, it's really important to us to make sure they know that, you know, we're not going to be another one of those people. We're going to be more of a partner to them. And, and you're right. It's hard to do. And it's, there's not one answer that solves all. It's, it's a lot of different things. I mean, I, I remember my, the first time I was at Google, I, you know, we were, I was calling on SMBs, you know, and I remember, you know, calling SMBs and introducing myself. Hi, it's Jeremy from Google. And they were like, yeah, right. I just got five phone calls from people that said they're from Google, <laughs> you know, and then I'm like, no, like, seriously, I'm really from Google. And then we had to like, send them an email and like, say, you yeah. see that Google. And I mean, we had to do it all the time. And they, to your point, you know, they, they take an advantage of a lot, you know, yeah. and, yeah. and that hasn't changed, you know, and it's, and it's something that knowing that and, and being on the side of, Hey, we actually want to support you. 
and help you and educate you and then give you the tools to grow is helpful. Yeah. But it's hard, man. Even yeah. when you're working at a, a brand where everyone knows the brand. Totally. That didn't matter. That didn't give me an easy way in, you know? Totally. Yeah. I, I It's a lot of people don't know that. Like, you know, most of these local businesses are in business because they loved what they did. Right. And like, that's why they started is like to be, to just do their craft day in and day out. And you're a hundred percent right. Like, I'm sure that most of these businesses would get a phone call from you at Google and be like, <laughs> I'm talking to someone from Google. Like, are yeah, you serious right yeah, now? Cause yeah. like, that's not even in the realm of, you know, the possibility for them. Like they're, they're focused on their community. They're focused on what they're doing. And, um, you know, it's easy to, to get taken advantage of when, when you're really focused on what you're doing. I love it. Awesome. Okay. Let's do lightning round marketing trends. This podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. First question, we have Nico Dato, the head of marketing for Podium in the house. First question, Nico, what did you not expect about the Y Combinator experience? Oh man, that's a great question. So I wasn't as plugged in as our founders were, obviously. They were very in tune, but I was super fortunate to have conversations with people who I would have never imagined having conversations with. And I think that was the most surprising thing is, you know, one day all of a sudden they'd say, Hey, there's a marketing session. Come on in for the marketing session with us. And it would be like, you know, the CEO of Groupon or something. And you'd be like, Oh my gosh, I get to actually talk to this person. Like, you know, mono y mono. So I think that was most surprising to me. Mm, I love it. What would you do if you weren't in marketing? Oh, a great question. I think I would honestly try to go be a caddy, uh, a golf caddy. Dude, I love that. I yeah. love that. Yes. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to go complete opposite. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Um, best advice for a first time VP of marketing, head of marketing. I would say, figure out what your company needs from you and focus on that. Like with all your heart, get your teams focused on that. Like keep it simple, keep the goals fewer, like figure out what your company needs and go all in on that. Mm. Maybe one of my favorite questions. Thank you, Aaron. Shout out to the producer. Was Michael Jordan actually sick during the flu game? Oh, oh man. Well, uh, you know, I'm not going to answer that one. I feel like I'm going to get hate mail for that. But I will just say Michael Jordan ruined my childhood uh, with that game. Funny story. I'm sure this is screwing up lightning round. I always thought if I ever ran into Michael Jordan, I'd be like, hey, you, you screwed up my childhood. And one day... I just happened in Utah to be walking through a door and I ran into something and I looked up and it was Michael Jordan. What? And I, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I just froze and walked away. And he was probably looked at me like I was a complete psycho. Oh, that's epic, dude. That's beautiful. I love that. But yeah, no answer on that. That is, that is a hot topic here in Utah. Okay. What's your best moment as a Utah Jazz fan? Oh man, when John Stockton hit the three-pointer to, to go to the finals, yeah. The three, got to. That's got like, to. I remember where I was and, and who I was with with that shot. Oh, I love it. Awesome. Okay, what's something that you keep learning again and again? Oh man, that you just do not know anything, really. Wow. That's what I keep learning over and over again. I mean, I think like you're constantly just resetting uh, and, and trying to learn from scratch uh, in everything you do. I, I even think like, is people go into new businesses, they might've seen the scale or the scope of what they're doing, but like, it's totally different. And so I think hitting the reset button and, and understanding that you're going to constantly be learning is something I keep learning. What do you love and appreciate about yourself? Oh man. Um, I think that, I think that I'm, I'm very open-minded. I'm open to hearing other perspectives. And, um, you know, I, I think this bleeds into 
to my team as well. But like, I really try to check ego at the door as much as possible and, and recognize that I absolutely do not have the answers for every single thing. Mm. Finish the sentence. I'm secretly curious about. Oh, I'm secretly curious about flying airplanes. Me too. Are you? I'm going to get my, yeah, I'm going to get my pilot's license. I haven't started yet, but I am. Yes. I am doing, I want to do the same thing. So you let me know when you do it and I'll do it with you. Okay. Yeah. I like every time I fly on an airplane, I'm like, this seems so relaxing. What if you were just the one flying? Yep. So let's, let's look at, you heard it here. We're going to, we're both going to fly. We'll meet up and play golf somewhere. We'll fly. Okay. I love it. Done. Okay. Last two questions. If Nico had unlimited creativity and support, he would blank. I think, you know, one thing I've always been really interested in is uh, underserved communities. Mm. Like, I think if I had unlimited creativity and support, like I'd figure out a way to go best prop those those communities up. And it, it sounds, again, really cheesy and cliche, but like I, I would figure out how to go, you know, prop up those those underserved communities. I love it. That's it. That's all I got. Nico, thank you so much for being on the show. This was an honor, man. Let's stay connected. Let's meet up and play golf and talk about being dads and ballers. I love it. Thanks so much for having me. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, The messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.